The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Hi, hi, everyone. Uh, good, glad to talk to you from Authentic Living Show today. I wonder when you were little, did you ever sit around and have talks about... Uh, where heaven was and where hell was and we did when i was a kid we used to think about things like that and what about digging holes all the way to china but being afraid you might reach hell first yeah we did that too uh was hell out there on some other planet was heaven out there on some other planet where was heaven in your mind where was heaven in your imagination that's kind of the, the, the way we've typically thought about heaven. And we've, of course, divided it strictly off from hell, its opposite um, polar, polarity there on the continuum. We've decided that there is a heaven and it's a place and it's somewhere out there. It's always out there. It's never in here. Um, but, you know, in some of the Eastern religions, it is in here, only they don't call it heaven. So we get a little confused when we start trying to merge East with West and human potential movement with New Age movement and New Thought movement with New Age and human potential movement. We get a little confused. We don't know where to put that. It's because the languages of the East and the West are a little bit different. But also because we don't think in terms of interiority. We think in terms of exteriority. So, for example, when it comes to things like the law of attraction, um, as you know, I wrote a previous book about the law of attraction and why it wasn't working. When it comes to things like that, we think in terms of exteriors. So, when we think about what we're going to attract, we always think it's out there. We're going to attract something from out there, and it's going to come in here into my sphere of of living, and then I'm going to be okay. So, there's a bargain there, of course, if I... I can get it from out there to come in here with me, then my life will be better. And, of course, that bargaining is not at all what the universe is expecting from us or asking of us or wants to engage in with us. Um, Bargaining is uh, a stage of acceptance, a stage of grief. It's an if and a then. And the universe doesn't operate that way. I mean, you think about a tree. If I put this, drop this seed down here, drop this acorn down here on the ground, then it will grow into a tree. The fact is, we don't know which acorns are going to grow into a tree and which ones are just going to die out. So uh, that that whole bargaining idea is one that we engage in because we're not comfortable with mystery. Turns out, heaven is just one of those mysteries. It's one of those things that we have yet to understand because we think of it in terms of out there. And beyond that, we think of it in terms as beyond this. We think of it in terms as beyond this life. 
It's something so far away and so foreign that we can't attain to it here on planet Earth. It's not possible. And, of course, the first thing that we come to when we, when we say that is, well, it's not possible in a world where suffering exists. Well, okay, let's talk about that. Where is heaven? Okay, so in, in my studies, in, as I've uh, demonstrated in the book, Inhabiting Heaven Now, uh, which will be out next week, actually, by the way, um, in the studies that are, uh, that are shown in that book, what we discover is that the language, the root language of the texts that we use to uh, assert our beliefs in heaven as an out there, as a place that you go to only after you die, in the Christian Bible uh, and even in the Jewish Tanakh in some places, but not very, very commonly, you get the idea that heaven is an external because of the way we've translated it. But in the root language, you see something very different. Now, what do I mean by root language? When we talk about um, uh, our, our language, our English language, we can do some studies and find out that actually this or that word came from the Roman language. It's got an etiology. And its origins influence its connotations in our language. So where it came from and how it was used in that other language influence how, influences how we connote that word in our modern-day English language. And it's the same with the Hebrew and the Greek language, although um, they're not using a different language. They're using the same language, but the root, the root words, in other words, you can use one word and it comes from another word, that root word tells more about the connotation of the word you're using. So you can look up the word light, for example, in the Greek language or the, or the Hebrew language, and you might find that it means several different things in, one, in, the, in, its, in the way we use it. So I use the word light. So it has several meanings there. But then you look at the root language, its origin, and you find that it has other meanings as well. And those meanings influence the connotation or how it's used in a sentence or how it's used in the meaning that you want to portray. So when we start studying what the Bible, the Christian Bible and the Jewish Tanakh actually mean, we have to go to the root language. And, and it is my belief, and you can decide whether or not you agree with this, it is my belief that the people who translated the Bible originally not only were in a very hotly political environment with a lot of pressure, to uh, translate it in certain ways, but also they were looking at it through the lenses of what I've called the duality trance state, where good and evil reign supreme as our primary foundational kind of of base. We come from a base where we're either good or, or bad, and there's a grand battle between good and evil, and we must win. That's the purpose of our life here on this planet is to become, to make this bad planet good. Um, and so when the people that were writing or translating those texts were, were translating, they were looking at it through those lenses. So even if there was not a political environment that pressured them to, to write and think in certain ways, there was also, there was also definitely the duality translate from which we all operate. And you know, if you've listened to this show for a very long, you know that what I mean by the duality translate is a state of mind in which we are hypnotized into believing that we are separate from the divine and as such the divine is good and we are bad and 
that is why we're separated in our uh, intellectual version of that. So we've explained that hypnotized state of of separation by by telling ourselves that well this is why God's good we're bad that's that's the problem and what we need to do to reunite with God is get good so then we can be with God and so that's the whole story of the whole idea of Christianity and 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 several other religions as well that that we're supposed to be becoming good people in order to make it to 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 change the planet and to make it to heaven um, but the duality trans state is the lie we were never separated from the divine we just thought we were and when we ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that more metaphorical tree we began to believe that but in fact that's a part of the process of our creative endeavor here we have to go to the extreme of thinking we're separate from the divine as form in order to fully answer all the questions inherent in that state and then once those questions are answered then we can come back to union with form in our understanding we already are united form and formlessness divine and human are both are already united we just don't know it and so when i talk about inhabiting heaven now what i'm talking about is getting back to that forgotten state of existence where we are united with with the divine but we can't actually get back to it we have to go forward to it and here's what i mean by that I tell my clients all the time, and they'll come in and say, I just want to get back to that happy person I used to be. And my, my response to that is always, you, if you go back to where you were, you're going to end up where you are. And, and so what I mean by that is that uh, when we go backwards, we're going we're gonna to have to go through the same transitions to get only where to where we are again today. What we want to do is take where we are today and move forward from there. And where we are today in our duality trance state is in a place of almost breakthrough, very close to breakthrough. And it is this book, Inhabiting Heaven Now, as well as I'm sure many other books, that will help us to break through. Because what this book does is promise to break through the duality trance state and help us to see who we actually are as divine beings. It argues against everything that is... Uh, what seems to be a plausible reality related to the duality trance state. And therefore, when we're talking about what, who we are, when I talk about who we are as authentic being and what the authentic self actually is, from a psychological perspective, the authentic self is my truest essential identity. Not the false identity that I put on in response to the expectations of the world in which I grew up, but rather my truest identity, my true essence, what's real, the realest part of me. Not, I want to wear blue jeans to work today and my boss doesn't like it, but screw him, I want to wear them anyway because I want to be authentic. No, that's not what I'm talking about. That's a very externalized vision, version of, of the authentic self. I'm talking about being true to your truest essence. That's just the psychological component. When we get down to the spiritual component, what we're talking about is being true to your divine self. That means acting, thinking, walking, speaking, feeling as the divine being you are. And that's always operating inside of us. We just ignore it. So, okay, divine self, what does that got to do with heaven? Well, it turns out 
when we study the root language of both the Bible and many of the texts of the of the Eastern religions, like the Sufi sutras and the Buddhist sutras, the, some of the Gnostic texts, the Bhagavad Gita, many of those texts, they all say the same thing, that the divine self and heaven, what we call heaven in the Western world, are synonymous terms. Yeah. So guess what? Turns out you are heaven, and so am I. So where is heaven? It is me. It is the essence of who I am. And it is an ever-evolving process. And that's what we begin to understand when, uh, when we look at the root language of the Christian uh, text, particularly in the Gospels, and particularly when Jesus is talking. When he's using those words, uh, when, when he talks about the language that we typically understand to be a heaven as a faraway place or end times where the, there's going to be a great divide between the good guys and the bad guys and the good guys are going to go off to this place in heaven, the bad guys are going to go off into this place called hell. We, we've interpreted it that way. But when we actually look at the root language, we find something entirely different. It turns out. And if you'll, you go to the chapters about this in the book, you'll really understand what I mean here. But it turns out that heaven is a, is a process. Heaven is not a, a place. Heaven is not a thing. It's not, and it's not even really a state. It is a process. It is an ever-evolving process. That means it never stops growing. Now that's hard for us to imagine in our in our finite world where we think in terms of beginnings and ends, but from the perspective of of, of the the divine self, the heaven which is us never stops growing and it never started growing. It's just always been in this evolutionary state. So once upon a time there was no form, and then then. Uh, Elohim, which is a we, an us, when you translate the root language to that word, we created ourselves anew as form. Once we were formless, then we created ourselves anew as form. Then we had to walk through the duality trance state to find out if, to answer all the questions relative to form being created from formlessness. And the biggest question is, is form separate from formlessness? And then we come finally to the answer to that question, which is no. Form and formlessness are not separated, and they never have been. But because we thought they were, we walked through this duality trans state for many centuries. Now, you could ask yourself, why in the world would we have to do that? What, what, what crazy kind of a God would have made us do that? Well, the same kind of crazy God that does any kind of artwork. <laughs> I'm an artist, and I know when I get to paint a painting... Uh, I'm not deciding in advance what I'm going to paint. My creativity, as most people who will talk about true creativity, does not come from my intellectual planning. It comes from something way deeper inside of me. And so when I sit down to, to paint a picture, it comes from that. And when I allow it to come from that, it creates itself. And there's this perpetual shifting and changing that goes on. So... It has. It seems that in the, the creative process that there are several questions that have to be answered. Well, should it be brown here or should it be yellow? Mm, let me. What comes truest from me? Okay, yellow. And then what about over here? Is that a line or is that a curve? 
Well, my my essence says it's a curve, so let's go with that curve. Well, maybe that's not a Oh, okay, my essence is saying it turns this way instead of that way. I see. That's how creativity works, and that's how this process of form coming from formlessness is also working. So we're asking questions all along the way as we go, and these questions must be answered by experience, not by intellect, but by experience. And so that's why we're having to travel that journey. So we chose it. We chose to come here as souls in form to experience this life in form, to ask and answer those questions in form in order to help create a universe in which formlessness and form are one. That's why we're here. We're not here to win a grand battle between good and evil. That's just what duality, the duality trance state tells us. We're here to bring full aliveness to form, body, rock, tree, full aliveness to form. That's what we're here to do. And when, when we learn to do that, the entire universe will shift. The conscious awareness that is universe will shift because now form and formlessness are one and what was once formless and only formless can now be both. What an amazing thought. What an amazing reality to consider. And we're a part of that. We are brave souls who came down here to, to accomplish that to facilitate that through our divine essence. Our soul is always facilitating that, lifetime after lifetime, incarnation after incarnation. And here's the other reality. I'm going to say this quickly before our break, and then we're going to take a break and come back to it, because I want you to pause and reflect on it, on it during the break. Here's the other reality. There is not one single failed life on this planet. Not one. Not one. Now, in the duality trance state, we go, oh, that's just crazy. That's just complete insanity. Look at Hitler. Look at all the genocide that takes place today. Look at, uh, look at all the uh, serial killers. I mean, really? There's not a failed life? Come on, Andrea. Well, this is not coming just from me. I mean, it is coming out of my mouth, so I can't say it's not coming from me. But I can say where I'm getting this is from studying the root language in the very Bible that has been, we've been taught, actually refutes this information. That's the shock of what what's discovered in inhabiting heaven now is that the thing that we have been using for centuries to refute what I'm telling you is the thing that tells us that what I'm telling you is true. So there is not one single failed life. Every life completes what it came here to get every single life and we're going to talk some more about that right after the break so so tune for more the voice america seventh wave channel Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. 
Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following, holistic theology offering as terminal degrees both a Th.D. and a Ph.D., holistic ministries, holistic health and spiritual care, metaphysical spirituality, and alternate spiritual traditions, which includes in-depth studies in the paranormal. These are going to change shortly, and you will see uh, new programs in metaphysics as well as parapsychology. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. What's most important to AIHT's, AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all of the world's religions, traditions, and paths. Utilizing as your text writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world, the coursework allows students to explore and find their own spiritual experience and path, and then, if they wish, to take healing, help, and vision to others. So, AIHT is changing the world one student at a time, and all you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu 
or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. What more is education, that same passport, when it is a spiritual education? So call and get your passport today. We were talking just before the break about how it is that there is no such thing as a failed life. Well, there's a chapter in the book called Evil and another chapter in the book called Good. So I go into a great deal of detail in the book about these two seemingly opposite polarities. But uh, just for now, what I want to say is the reason there are quote-unquote evil people in the world is because we can identify with evil. If there were no such concepts in the world, no one would be able to identify with them. So if a child is growing up in the world, in a home in which good and bad are talked about frequently or in which there's an energy in which th- that whole paradigm is constantly uh, pressured in that home, then a child can, can identify with what's called evil or badness. And that child will need to, uh, to pin its existence to that identity, like we all pin our existence to our identities. So, for example, if I say I am Andrea Matthews, radio host extraordinaire, that's my identity, and I'm going to go around believing that that's what I should be doing, so everywhere I go I'll be this radio host, and people will want to pinch me on the ear and throw me out of the house. So the idea, though, is that I'm identifying with that thing, and that's all I know how to be. And so if I believe that my badness is my existence that proves that I exist, then that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it more and more and more and more. And when people don't like it, that's just affirmation that I'm actually being bad so that I can uh, prove that I exist again. And it's my theory that that's why, for example, the serial killer needs so much media attention because they're trying to prove that they exist and the compulsion to go and do it again and do it worse the next time is is the experience of I am evil, I am that evil and that means I exist. And there's a pretty big high in finding out we exist. So that has its own pull. The same is true of people who identify with goodness and you've met them, I've met them, where they see themselves as very good people and they're helping other people and they're constantly, you know, telling other people what they should and shouldn't do or they, you know, they're, they're acting in very helpful and kind and generous ways and sometimes when I see this person, by the time they get to my office for therapy, they are eat up, as we say in the South, with, uh, with resentment. Because they have sacrificed so much of themselves hoping that somebody would would finally turn and look at them and say, yes, you, the real you exists beyond being used by other people. So if they think they only exist to be used by other people, that's not a very happy existence. Although the the idea originally was if I'm good, then people are going to like me. But turns out people only use me. And that's really disappointing. So then we find out that, well, maybe it's not so good to be good. (laughs) So... This whole paradigm of good and evil is something with which we can identify. And because we can, we do. And because we need to cope, we need to survive, we need to find a way to prove to ourselves that we really are here in form. And so we do. And based on our environment, our upbringing, our needs for our parents, our particular um, uh, incarnational goals, we identify with certain things. So if I identify with bad... 
in form. How is that going to help my soul in its evolutionary process? Well, I don't know the answer to that, first of all. Let me be very clear about that. I don't know the answer to that. But what I can say is I can imagine an answer to that. And the answer to that that I can imagine is that we, if I've come here to experience what it's like to live my existence into badness, the whole point is to see that that's not really helping me find my truest essence. So I have to go to the extreme of what isn't in order to find out what is in the same way that I might need to get attracted to an alcoholic over and over and over again in order to find out that I can never resolve this issue with my father through my husband. So it's that kind of thing. It's the same kind of psychology. And speaking of psychology, that is the process. Uh, There is a kind of psychological, psycho-spiritual process that goes into finding our deepest essence. We have to walk into the unconscious to do that. Now, how does a conscious person walk into the unconscious? Well, first we have to understand that consciousness is a result of unconsciousness. Everything that has been created uh, in our lives to this point came originally from the unconscious. In the same way that once upon a time we, we wrote movies and books about landing on the moon and then eventually we did it, that's the same way that the unconscious is. It dreams, it wants, it desires, it designs, and then eventually it becomes a conscious experience. It, it does that through a sort of transition that's almost alchemical where it pushes on the consciousness until it finally emerges and consciousness allows it until it finally allows it to emerge. So there's a kind of union there that's happening with conscious and unconsciousness and that is how we've created everything. Carl Jung goes so far as to say that everything on the planet is created from unconsciousness. From the unconscious, it it emerged. Um, if I'm interpreting him correctly, of course, there might be some out there who would, who would argue with that interpretation, but that's how I see what he's said so far. And uh, so when we talk about experiencing heaven, we have to go to the unconscious to find it. Why? Because that's where it's at. We've, we've pushed it back into the unconscious because we had to live into the duality trance state. In the duality trance state, you're not allowed to have heaven on earth. So we had to push that awareness of ourselves as divine self into the unconscious where it still says so we say the that when we have a bad thought for example we might push it back into the unconscious and we tell ourselves well i made that go away so that makes me a good person but actually (laughs) it just makes us an unconscious person and so uh we're trying really hard to figure out ways to be good because we think that's what we're supposed to do and that's the mistake that's the lie what we're what we're supposed to be doing is becoming conscious and in order as we become conscious we will become conscious of all the things that we've repressed but we will also become conscious of the light that's at the end of that tunnel we will we will become conscious of heaven that is residing within us we will become conscious of who we are as divine beings because the deeper we go into the unconscious the more we find the truth of who we are and and so but most of us are pretty frightened of doing that we're we're afraid we're going to go into the unconscious and find out how bad we are because that's how um much we have absorbed the duality trans state we think entirely in those terms we think entirely in terms of good and evil and that is why i think that the messages of this book are so very important because they the book tells us so much about 
the codes we have devised and the the psychology and the intellectualism that we have used to keep us stuck in the duality trance state in order to shed light on it, completely shed light on the duality trance state. And in the process of doing that, I hope that it's raising consciousness so that we can go, okay, if the duality trance state is not true, then what is true? What is true? Well, what what is possible to discover through that process is one in which we find deeper and deeper peace, higher and higher joy, more and more fluidity with life as it is, not expecting it to be something, just allowing it to be. That process is uh, what Eckhart Tolle calls living into the now. Um, you know, uh, many have called it living in joy. Some people call it a purpose-driven life. I don't call it that. I don't think we're purpose-driven means I, I've got to find a purpose in order to be okay with my life, in order to be sure that I'm doing the right thing, uh, then I've got to be in my purpose. Well, I don't, I don't think of it that way at all. I think our purpose is to be here, period, end of subject. And in that process, we're going to be experiencing life and letting life experience us so that we're in this sort of alchemical process of discovering more and more about who we are, what is life, where is peace, what is peace, what is joy, all of those things. What is pain? All of those things we're discovering. Um, so when we, when we talk about discovering heaven on earth now, we're talking about that process, which is heaven. We've already defined heaven as a process. That process is one in which we get closer and closer to discovering who we are as divine beings. And it is one in which we have to go through different incarnations in order to see who we are as divine beings. That is why there's no failed life. Because if, if in this life I live it out as a serial killer, but at the end of it I discover that that some little small increment of understanding that that isn't my essence, then I've gotten closer to discovering what my essence is. Because every time I decide what it isn't, I'm closer to what it is. So in the same way, when I am walking around in the dark, discovering what's in the room with my hands, and I discover a light, but I'm looking for a book, well, as long as I know the light isn't the book, I'm closer to finding the book. Okay? So that's how that works. And so that is why there's no failed life. Every life has something that it, some information, some download that we get at the end of it. Um, and maybe in the middle of it. I don't know that it's always at the end, but, but it is somewhere in there that we're getting something that gets us a little closer to what is the truth. So sometimes we live completely into the lie in order to find the truth. I've done that in this life. <laughs> You've done it too. Where you've lived into something that seemed to be true until finally you came to the end of it and went, well, that's not even true. I know someone who lived a long time married to a man that she did not love, thinking that she could uh, experience with this man the same thing that she saw her parents experience in their love life. And it took her 10 years after their divorce to go, oh my God, I could have never had that with this man. I was never in love with him. So she lived entirely into the lie until she finally got to the place where she could say, oh, here's the real truth. I didn't ever love him, and we were not really supposed to be together. So how could I have possibly created that dream 
that I hoped that my, that my parent, that I could see that my parents had. They were in love. They had a really good relationship. But how was I going to do that with a man I wasn't even in love with? So we can fantasize all kinds of things. And we have fantasized the duality trans state. But because we have, we have to live into that lie until we can see the truth. And we have to push it until we do. But that push is a part of the issue that when we talk about, you know, finding that elusive peace and bliss that we, we talked a little bit last week about the whole thing of bliss, what that was about, um, what, what that is and how we find it, how we don't find it. What is peace? How do we know when we've stumbled onto something that's true? Um, I will, I will say to you that one of the most important, um, parts of our process toward heaven on earth is the one in which we look inside of ourselves for affirmation, not outside. Where I know that I've stumbled onto a truth because I feel peace in response to it. I know that I have found something meaningful because I feel joy in response to it. But in a world in which we're taught to stay external, to worry about what other people are thinking of us, to live our lives based on what other people are going to be thinking about us if we X, Y, and Z, we're not taught to affirm from the inside. We're not taught that our in that our insides can tell us, yes, 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 keep going this way. No, no, turn here. Uh, no, you want to go through that door, not this one. That's what our insides can tell us. But we're not listening because the external world has put so much pressure on us to perform according to its standards. And that's another thing that we, we really talk about in the book, Inhabiting Heaven Now. Because those standards are man-made. They're made up. <laughs> who, who decided that your hair should be a certain way or that your body should look a certain way? Who? who? You know, my mother used to say, who died and made you God? <laughs> and I love that statement because it's really true. We, we determine that there's a God out there. And that God out there tells us how we ought to look and walk and talk and act and dress and, you know, how we sh- what politeness is and what it isn't and what how far you should stand from a person when you're talking to them and how you should respond to them when they say X, Y, and Z. That is what we've been taught. And, it, and, it's, and it's a blindness. Because what it says is they know and you don't. Don't look inside yourself for the truth. Look out there. They're going to tell you. But they don't know. Because they're not inside you. And until you get inside you, you're not going to know either. And that's the whole point. We have to go inside. And we have to work in truth and in spirit. Jesus said in the Bible that one day we would worship in truth and in spirit. In spirit and in truth. Not, you know, and he wasn't talking about a building or a religion. That would be our way of worship. And by worship, he meant something different. Then what we mean when we say the word worship, he meant uh, that the word is actually has to do with a dog licking the hand of its master uh, in hunger. So it's like we're feeding ourselves with this sense of spirit and truth. And, and that whole idea is not one we understand. We understand that we're supposed to be trying to find something, some goodness in ourselves and serve God with it. And God doesn't need the divine the universe, however you want to talk about that beingness, does not need our service. <laughs> it needs our consciousness. 
And that's what this is all about. So, and we need our consciousness because we are that divine. We are the same. So we're feeding ourselves with that. And that's what worship really is truly all about. Um, so we're going to talk some more about how we can get into that place of heaven and find that elusive peace and bliss right after the break. Stay tuned for more. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? How do I get there? If you're searching for the answers to these and other spiritual questions, you can look within. And you can tune into The Open Door. Our program will expand your awareness of the teachings of the Ascended Masters, offer you practical tools that promote self-mastery and personal freedom, and provide an unerring pathway for graduating from Earth Schoolroom. The Open Door with host Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy is broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Every moment that we live provides us with numerous opportunities to grow more deeply spiritually through our active engagement in positive, concrete ways that can uplift, encourage, and help ourselves and each other. Become a part of Our Sacred Journey with your host, Audrey Katagawa. Our program will include guests who will share their experiences with you to inspire you to help create a peaceful, cooperative present and future and to explore your creativity and the valuable contributions which you can make. Our Sacred Journey airs live Mondays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And I want to tell you about Oprah Winfrey's upcoming Super Soul Sunday show this week. Oprah is going to be sitting down with Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz in one of his most personal interviews ever on an all-new episode of Super Soul Sunday this Sunday, December the 8th at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on OWN, Oprah Winfrey Network. In this episode, Schultz shares the story of his inspiring rise from the housing projects in Brooklyn, New York, to his current role as a global thought leader and innovator. Schultz will share the leadership lessons he's learned while guiding this iconic brand for more than three decades, discussing how an emphasis on ethics, authenticity, and people-before-profit philosophy helped to grow and sustain his multi-million dollar company, reflecting on his number one New York Times bestseller, Onward, how Starbucks fought for its life without losing its soul, Schultz recounts the story behind the global coffee company's comeback in 2008 when he decided to return as the CEO to help restore Starbucks' core values and mission to inspire and nurture the human spirit. 
one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. Listen for that clip now. Would you say that Starbucks was in a spiritual crisis? Yes, I would. Mm -hmm. And I would say that, and I, I will also say that most of the problems we had were self-induced mistakes. And I stood in front of the entire employee base of the company, our partners, mm -hmm. and said, I apologize for as leaders that we had let them and their families down, but we were going to return the company back to its glory days. Okay, so in those days where you knew the com company had lost its way, yes. was in its own s spiritual crisis, did you debate whether or not you should jump back in or not? I know. I know. I know. I, I, first of all, I never planned to come back to Starbucks. But again, this is about love. Because you'd step down as CEO. Mm -hmm. I did. This is about love. This mm -hmm. is about passion. This is about responsibility. And this is about leadership. And there was no second thought whatsoever. I came back to lead the company back, but I also needed help from others. And I needed people to believe. And we started doing things that were quite unorthodox, uncharacteristic of a company that was in trouble, especially during the financial crisis. All right, so that sounds like a very important and very good uh, interview about leadership and about what it takes to really um, be real in this world today. So I want you to be there Sunday. I'm going to be there. And so we were talking just before the break about uh, about how we can manage to find this um, elusive peace and bliss. And so we we it is a journey. It is a journey into the unconscious, but it's not one we can push. Um, most of us uh, begin that process by thinking that we can walk into it from the identity that we can as for example if my identity is superwoman which means that I think I can leap tall buildings in a single bound and run faster than a speeding bullet and I act that way in my life and I'm always doing and and always on top of everything and if I am given a project to get done in a week I get it done in three days and if I'm supposed to paint the house I get it done yesterday and if I can take care of the kids and and bring home the bacon and, you know, be the Anjali woman or the Anjali man, depending on whether or not you might also be Superman. So that identity is one which by the time I see these people, they walk in the door and they've got high blood pressure and arthritis and they're bitter because nobody's ever done anything for them and they've been doing it all and they know that the only way to get anything done right is to do it yourself and so they end up doing everything themselves and they resent the world that is never helping them get anything done and they wonder how they got in this position and they got in this position because that early in life very early in life they put on this superwoman superman identity and it helped them cope with their childhoods and then they got into adulthoods and they kept doing the same thing and they attract were attracted to people who needed to be taken care of because that's the only kind of people they'd ever been involved with in the past and that's what the way we're familiar with so they fell in love again with the people who would do the same thing their parents did and then wondered why they ended up taking care of them too well it's because they were the same kind of people their parents were because they're trying to resolve through their husbands and wives the unresolved issues with their parents. But they're trying to do it in the same way that they tried to survive their childhood. So it's just not working. Um, and uh, so what they need is a partner in their marriage, is not somebody they can take care of. But they don't understand that because their lives have been all about taking care of other people and always being on top of everything. So um, for for this person, what when you say to them, well, the process of finding heaven is to go into the unconscious, they're going to say, okay, I can do that. Let me fly faster than a speeding bullet right into my unconscious, and I'm just going to work this thing out, and it'll be done yesterday. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Okay, and that's just one of the roles 
uh, or identities that we can have. We can have a victim identity, and if we come into heaven from that, we're going to be saying, well, I can't heaven help me. You know, and if we're, uh, I might have a clown identity and then it's like, I can't really take this thing seriously. And, you know, sometimes I talk to people who have sort of a clown identity or a Peter Pan identity and they're like, really, this is just too deep for me. I just really don't want to talk about this <laughs> because it, it's got to be levity. And of course, there's a lot of levity in, in the uh, authentic self, the divine self, the heaven on inside of us that we are as well, but that's not all there is. Um, so, uh, when we come into, when we come into an experience of the unconscious, it comes into us. We, we can't make it happen. And that is so frustrating in this Western culture where, where we're supposed to make everything happen. What, you know, the whole idea of meditation is we sit. You know, in Zen they say the, the idea is to sit, you know, and you're like, okay, well, and then what? What, what, okay, aren't I supposed to stop thinking and aren't I supposed to start, you know, um, really trying to find my peace and aren't I supposed to be, no, no, you're supposed to sit. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, because life itself is about beingness. It's not about doingness. And, you know, we say that a lot. That's a, that's a kind of term that's been thrown around, terminology that's been thrown around a lot. But really, that sitting experience is one in which or it could be standing, or it could be laying. I'm not talking about literally physically sitting, but it is one in which we are more or less surrendered to beingness, where we're just being with sitting, or standing, or laying. We're we're being present with what is inside of us. So what is inside of me may be a lot of what we call monkey chatter, a lot of anxious. Thinking, going, oh, I gotta do this and 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 this. I gotta do all these things today. I gotta do them yesterday. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. That may be going in and stuff. So I'm gonna sit with that. I'm gonna be with that. And as I'm being with that, it begins to sort of relax a little bit and unfold and begin to share. Oh, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm anxious. Then I can go, oh, okay. Let me be with that anxiety. Then anxiety comes and says, oh, you know, this is so, I'm so worried that this and that and the other, or that what if I can't be good enough, or what if I can't be this or that or the other, or what if I'm unworthy? And then it's like, oh, now we're talking about my identity. Now, that doesn't happen just that way, just as I just described, but that's an example. And in the book, I give two life examples that could be called case studies, except that they're not. They're composites of several people that I've worked with over the years, and they're fictionalized uh, because I don't want to expose anybody's confidentiality. But, but they're two very clear examples of how that process works, where we begin to really just be with what is inside of us and let it unfold and unfold and unfold and unfold and unfold and as it does we get more and more and more information from the divine self about who we are we discover the the quote-unquote negative stuff that's inside of the unconscious that we've shoved in there because we didn't want to experience it and we experience it yeah we experience it and what how would you say that's heaven andrea <laughs> well you know we, we're just so bent on no we can't have any negative thoughts and so just hell bound not to have any hell in our lives that we are we are creating our own hells we are in the process of trying very hard not to have anything negative and in the process we're creating negativity so what i say is there is no thing as ne- no such thing as negative just like there's no such thing as good and evil there's no such thing as negative or positive it just is 
Okay, so when we can just eliminate that vocabulary completely, and it is extremely hard to do. Let me tell you, I try to do it, and I still find myself, well, that's good. That's bad. Or that's that's really positive. Yeah, that talk is just in us, and so it's hard to eliminate that talk. But more, it's more important to just begin to be with even that, to just be able to go, see, there I am saying again that that's good or that's bad, and really it just is. And and so being with what is, is not saying, okay, well, I'll just lay down and let it roll over me. And that's what we typically think in the Western culture, because if you're not out there duking it out, well, somebody's going to be duking you down. So this, that's what, tim, typically what we think. But um, that's not the case here, because you have a self, and it is real, and it is active, and it wants to talk to you. So when you get quiet or just get settled enough to be with what is you begin to hear from it it wants to talk to you it wants to be you it's been hiding down in there wanting to be you for many centuries and and so but we don't trust that we don't trust that it has energy that it has passion that it really wants to connect we only trust that We've got to do the work that in the identity that Superwoman or Victim or uh, Clown or Peter Pan or, um, you know, Perpetrator or whatever, some other identity has to, has to be the one to go in there and get whatever's in there and drag it back out and, you know, beat it into place so it will be good. <laughs> that's kind of how we think of it. And that's not necessary. None of that is necessary because it already is all that it should be. It is divine. It is the essence of divine, which is neither good nor evil, but is powerfully sacred holiness. And by holiness, I don't mean goodness in the way we typically think of it. Um, I do mean wholeness. I do mean the integrity of wholeness that doesn't have to lie, that is utter truth. Um, we, we can experience that. We really can experience that. But we don't believe that because we've been taught that that we are bad people and that we should really be trying hard to be good people and that that's what it's all about. And if you're really not trying to be a good person, then you are a bad person. And furthermore, if you're a person who doesn't feel guilty sometimes, then you're really a bad person because we believe that guilt is one of those things that tells us that we how to behave. And we've talked in other in other episodes about how guilt is the lie also. Um, and we will talk about that again uh, before it's over with because there's a whole lot to say about that. But, uh, but the idea is here w- one in which we begin to allow the unconsciousness to come forward and embrace us and create its own picture. So that it's a little bit I – remember, I remember specifically in my life the time when I began to write real poetry. Prior to uh, this time, I had written poetry out of – an intellectual kind of, I'm going to think about this and I'm going to write about this and then I'm going to say that and then I'm going to say this and then it's going to be really cool. <laughs> and and all of that poetry is lousy poetry. All of it. Uh, I still have some of it and I look at it and I cringe. It's like, oh my God, who wrote that? But when I got to that place where something inside of me just let go and began to to allow things to come forward and splash themselves onto the paper, that's when I began to write good poetry, and that's when it began to be published. And when I can do that with my art, it's the same way. 
And when I can do that in talking to you, it's the same way. When I don't, when I don't try to plan out what I'm going to say, but I rather just let it come forward in me, that's when it's really good. When it, when I try to plan it out, it screws up. So, um, it, it, it is that allowing that what is inside of us to have its own energy and come forward. That's when we begin to experience divine self. That's when we begin to live into our authenticity. And, and that is when we begin to have that impact on the world that offers the world the same opportunity to become authentic. So anytime I'm being authentic in myself and I walk into a room of other people, I'm by that very energy giving the other people in that room the opportunity to also become authentic, at least to some degree in response to my authentic, authentic energy that's now in the room. And that is how we offer loving experience of joy and bliss to other people we, and healing to other people. We don't offer it by trying to help them. <laughs> we, that we get in our own way when we do that. And, you know, I've, I've had some other episodes about that whole idea of helping other people. So, okay, so here, here's what we said today. It is possible to have heaven on earth. Um, there is a process of unfoldment that occurs within us to give us heaven on earth. And we can surrender to that process. That's what I've said here today. So I hope you'll go get the book. It'll be out on the 13th of December, which is next Friday, I believe. Um, and um, so you can uh, you can pre-order it now on Amazon.com um, and maybe some other online outlets as well. But uh, it will be out officially on the 13th of December. And um, next week is going to be our last episode in the, uh, in the um, Countdown to Heaven that we are going to have. Because it will be the episode that occurs just before the book comes out. So I hope you'll be there for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.